Welcome to the Trinity Radio Podcast. This podcast has a video component found at youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter. This means you might miss some visual aspects of the show, but it shouldn't have a serious negative effect. We'd love it if you'd run over to the YouTube channel real quick and subscribe. And if you enjoy this content, do us a favor. Take a moment to give us a five-star review on iTunes and mention a couple of things you like about the podcast. If you really appreciate the show, you can help make it better and get extra content for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash trinity radio. Enjoy the show. What an astonishing thing a book is. It's a flat object made from a tree with flexible parts on which are imprinted lots of funny dark squiggles. But one glance at it and you're inside the mind of another person. Maybe somebody dead for thousands of years. Across the millennia, an author is speaking clearly and silently inside your head, directly to you. Writing is perhaps the greatest of human inventions, binding together people who never knew each other, citizens of distant epochs. Books break the shackles of time. A book is proof that humans are capable of working magic. Carl Sagan from his 1980s television program, The Cosmos. This is a video that can stand on its own. So if this is the only video you've seen in this series, that's perfectly fine. Don't go away. Don't go looking for the series. But this is a response to what several atheists have said to me after I made a video called 10 Questions for Atheists. And I asked the question in uh, that video, number nine, question number nine was, uh, what are the last three academic works that you've read by, um, I can't remember if I said by theists or by Christian theists. Let's just go with theists to make it easier. And um, the reason I'm asking is because I want to know, are you getting the best that the other side has to offer? Or are you getting most of your information from blog articles or YouTube videos? Uh, this is not meant to be presumptuous toward atheists because there are a lot of Christians that do the same thing. But this was an interesting one. Some of those who responded simply calmly provided the answers to those questions. I would point you to the videos made in response to my 10 questions by the channel Crusade Against Ignorance or um, uh, Noel Plume's channel or uh, Vagrant Sam. All three of those and probably others just listed off some of the books that they'd read. And I thought that was great. Some seemed put off by this question, though, and reasoned that Christian thinkers should be putting the best points that they have, the best evidence, the best reasons to believe in YouTube videos so that we can see them clearly. And if we want to go deeper, then uh, skeptics and atheists can go deeper. Some tried to read my mind and assume that no matter what books they've read, what I'm going to say is, oh, well, you read the wrong book. If you'd read this other book, well, then you wouldn't be an atheist or something like that. Uh, most respondents turned the tables on me and asked me what books I have read. What are the last three scholarly books from an unbeliever that I have read? And so we'll tackle all of these questions in the video, but let's first start by talking a little bit about the value of books. Two years ago, I engaged in a friendly competition with members of the Trinity Radio Facebook group that we have. It's called Trinity Radio Primetime Discussion if you want to be a part of it and maybe be a part of competitions like this in the future. The idea was to see uh, who, how many books we could read off of our great books list. And so we want to see who could read the most books off of that list in a year's time. And so 
Uh, I made it to 30, uh, somewhere between 30 and 40 books. Standouts for me were the, the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin, um, Paradise Lost by John Milton, and uh, The Brothers Karamazov by Dostoyevsky. These were incredible books, powerful books. And I go back to them in my thinking on almost a daily basis, at least one of them, if not all three. You know, videos are great. YouTube videos are great. But books get into your blood in a way that videos don't. Having to come back to them each day challenges your thinking. I've changed my mind from videos before, but books are just a little bit different. For instance, with theology, I had only been exposed to probably the most prominent view of hell in the history of the church, the traditionalist view. And so I needed a book like Steve Gregg's All You Want to Know About Hell to challenge my thinking on that. I needed to hear someone present some of the good reasons to believe that evolution is true, since most of what I'd heard had been from either intelligent design individuals who uh, mostly don't believe in evolution or young earth creationists. And so I needed a book like Francis Collins, The Language of God, or bring it to the uh, atheist and theist debate. I needed the books like Reasonable Faith and um, God, Freedom and Evil and The Resurrection of Jesus, a new historiographical approach. I needed those books, obviously, to hear what the Christians were saying, but I also needed to hear from Hume and Mackey and Rowe and airmen and others, because those would challenge me to uh, think through what I thought to be good evidence and to hear what uh, others had to say. And uh, these needed to be in book form. Uh, in book form, a lengthy case could be made for a particular argument that builds each chapter on the one before. I get the idea from what some skeptics were saying in response to me, well, theists should just put the best they have into a video and call it a day. And if we want to go deeper, then we'll go deeper because of that. But books are much more appropriate for building a lengthy case for an argument. Any YouTuber in this space knows that whether you're using the Kalam cosmological argument, a, a teleological argument, a moral argument, a resurrection case, or on the other side, if you're bringing an argument from evil, an argument from divine hiddenness or, or whatever atheistic argument you want to bring, the comment sections are going to be filled with individuals who are saying, but what about this? And that doesn't handle this. And uh, criticizing with criticisms that would have been handled in the preliminary section of a lengthy book on that argument, which would have explained the answers to all of those in almost the front matter. Uh, that's why you need a book like that. And to make the point, let's go ahead and answer that question of the last three books I've read by unbelievers. Recently, I've read on the genealogy of morality by Nietzsche. I've read Doubt, a History by Jennifer Hecht, which is very interesting. And uh, she uh, has conclusions that I think are stretching at times, especially when it comes to, for example, the book of Job. She thinks that Christians largely miss what's going on here. But um, a, a very interesting book on the history of doubt. And there aren't many books in that space. And so I thought that was great. And Arguing About Gods by Graham Oppie. Uh, I, I was involved in a rereading of that here recently. These books are in addition to my reading of Sam Harris's and Dan Barker's books on free will, which are more at the popular level. I read Sam Harris's book three times. I read Dan Barker's book two or three times, uh, as well as Barker's book on morality, and as well as the Oxford Companion to, or the Oxford, sorry, the Oxford um, Handbook on Free Will to prepare for my debate on free will with Dan Barker, which you can see on this channel.
Let's take Oppie's book, for example, because it makes the point so well. When you take any of the specific chapters on theistic arguments from arguing about gods, it's helpful to know some of the things that Oppie laid out in the beginning. For example, it's helpful to know what he thinks about cumulative arguments, a cumulative case for theism, combining different arguments together like that. That's important when you're looking at any one particular argument. That comes in a discussion related to uh, what he understands to make for a successful argument. What he considers to make for a successful argument is one of the most talked about features of the book, Arguing About Gods. And so it's really important when you're looking at Oppie's book that this actually comes in book form, that it's a lengthy book as it is. It needed to be a book. On top of that, Oppie, even though he gives himself plenty of space in the book, clearly didn't think he had enough space because he's constantly referencing uh, lengthier discussions about a particular item that he had in one of his previous books. The point is, you couldn't do that in a YouTube video, and the YouTube video would get watered down with assumptions that the viewer has about a variety of things that they take to be relevant criticisms of a particular argument. When in a book, those things can all be fleshed out early on, and you have one volume that addresses the most relevant features of that argument, whether it's for God's existence or against God's existence. Oppie's book needed to be a book. It needed to be that book, the way that it is. Now, obviously as a YouTuber, I think that videos have their own benefits and they can be very powerful in a different way, but they shouldn't, in my opinion, replace books. Well, what about the suggestion that I'm just playing a game with atheists by asking this question? Maybe I'm actually just setting up to say whatever book they present wasn't academic enough or whatever book they present they would have believed if they'd read this one over here. Well, I began this video by pointing to some channels that I thought did a good job of listing some good books, and I have no criticism. Rather, my point is I'd like to know what people are reading because I'd like to see the conversation elevated based on the kinds of material that we're putting into our heads. To that end, before we go, I'd like to share with you how it is that I try to get through 30 or more books at least per year, which honestly, I've got students who read a lot more than that. But I have to do this while running a seminary, running a YouTube channel, and being present for my family. So how do I do that? Well, uh, here's what I try to do. I've been floundering lately, but I try to get up about five o'clock in the morning and start walking. And while I'm walking for about two hours, I listen to uh, books being read to me on my phone. Now, listen close. I'm not talking about Audible. I'm not talking about audiobooks that were professionally done. Most of the books that I want to read or need to read are not available in a format like that because mass audiences aren't reading them. Instead, I take my phone. I get the book on Kindle, and I know there are some purists out there that like to feel the grain of the page between their fingers and smell the book. However, I just get the Kindle book. I turn on the accessibility features on my phone so that this robotic voice reads the book to me out loud. Now, this takes some getting used to, although the, uh, the AI that reads these books has gotten better over the years from when I first started doing this. The great thing about this is you can actually change the speed at which the book is read to you. And the more you do it, the faster you can listen through these books. And this is called voiceover on iPhone and Android phones have their own version. Most smartphones have some version of this. And I also pause occasionally to make notes in a note taking app on my phone for things that I want to look more deeply at later. This is how I read most of the books that I read. This is how I get through them. And I do this all while I'm walking. 
And uh, some people think this might be cheating. My wife says, you can't say you read those books. You listened to those books. I don't really care. All I care about is I'm getting the information in a way that is good for me as a person who learns audibly. The best thing, obviously, is if you can write out what you've learned, write a paper or something. That's why higher education is so helpful. I don't know who said it, but it's true. Reading makes a person full. Writing makes a person precise. And that's how we remember. I also try to have conversations about the things that I've learned with other people who are interested in what I'm interested in. That way, when I hear myself talk it through, I can find where I misunderstood or where what I'm saying doesn't seem to make sense like I thought it did. And then I can go back to the uh, the book and see if I heard it correctly or read it correctly. And then I can reframe based on that. Or maybe I found a problem with what the author was saying. This is how you can get through a lot. In fact, I have a video on this for our patrons. It's not very long, but it gives a lot more resources that I use for this purpose every single day. So if you liked that, you can get more there at patreon.com slash Trinity radio. One last criticism I'd like to tackle is the suggestion that some have made that an atheist shouldn't be expected to read the best that the alternative has to offer because they don't believe any of this is real. Why would you read a book about Bigfoot or uh, the Loch Ness Monster or something like that? Well, I that seems right, but here's the problem with it. If you're the kind of person that's watching a video like this, still, at this moment in the video, or you comment a lot on YouTube videos, or you listen to a lot of videos related to the theism versus atheism discussion, then it seems like you are interested enough that you think that these things are important to talk about for some reason or other. If you're a creator, if you're a YouTube maker or some other influencer on some other platform, then perhaps you owe it to your audience to know the best of what the other side has to offer. And so for that reason, you should read. Lastly, you might wonder, why did I recently reread Arguing About Gods? Let's be honest, you probably didn't wonder that, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I'm working on a new series that I hope will happen, although I'm not certain, that will be devoted to the book Arguing About Gods by Graham Oppie, in which I'll have a series of videos, each one with some professional uh, philosopher, a scientist, or somebody else coming on and responding to a specific chapter in Oppie's book uh, that they're an expert in that field or that area so that they can respond. Ideally, Oppie will agree, I hope he'll agree, at the end of that uh, series of videos to come on and respond to what some of his critics have said. I'm bouncing right now between two possible titles for this, the Oppie Project or Project Oppie. So maybe you can let me know what you think for those titles in uh, the comments section. In the end, my suggestion is that we all read, that we read a lot and that we read good material. Back to Carl Sagan, he says, Books, purchasable at low cost, permit us to interrogate the past with high accuracy, to tap the wisdom of our species, to understand the point of view of others and not just those in power, to contemplate with the best teachers, the insights painfully extracted from nature of the greatest minds that ever were drawn from the entire planet and from all of our history. They allow people long dead to talk inside our heads. Books can accompany us everywhere. Books are patient where we are slow to understand. Allow us to go over the hard parts as many times as we wish and are never critical of our lapses. Mm -hmm.